Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Everything USC podcast on Believe, the number one content network for professionals, the place to find a sports or pop culture show for passionate fan bases across multiple platforms. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? I'm your host, Nara Wang, and for episode 64, my guest is Hode Rabino, publisher of the Devil's Digest website covering Arizona State Athletics. Hode, pleased to have you on the Everything USC podcast today. Thank you so much for having me, Nara. And if you enjoy listening to this podcast, you can subscribe, download, and rate it wherever you get your favorite podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, TuneIn, and so many more. Or go right to the website, Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media, at Believe Network and at Believe Sports. For me, you can find and follow me on Twitter at Narawang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Hode, where can the people catch up with you and Devil's Digest? Sure, uh, devilsdigest.com uh, is the website with the Rivals affiliate of Arizona State and on Twitter, very simple, at Devil's Digest, one word. The Everything USC podcast is brought to you by Bet Online, where you'll find the latest odds, matchup info, player news, and game trends. Football is back, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your football betting needs this season. And as your continued source for all sports wagering info, Bet Online features live betting free contests, live scores, and giveaways all season long. It's always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events like MLB, MMA, tennis, boxing, and even golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. The Trojans moved to 4-0 and up to number 6 in the AP and coaches polls by defeating Oregon State 17-14 last Saturday night, but it was a struggle to make it happen as USC faced its first true test of the season. Really a defensive struggle on both sides for most of the game. The only scoring through the first three quarters occurred in the second quarter with a Beavers four-yard touchdown run by Deshaun Fenwick and a 42-yard field goal by Dennis Lynch for USC. SC finally took the lead at the beginning of the fourth quarter on a seven-yard touchdown run by Travis Dye on a fourth-and-two play, but the Beavers would reclaim the lead with 441 left, with Jam Griffin going for 18 yards to the end zone after Oregon State began with the ball at USC's 22-yard line thanks to a very short 33-yard punt out of the end zone by Aiden Sleep Dalton that was returned for 13 yards by Anthony Gold. The Trojans faced the fourth and six at their own 43-yard line with 2.51 to go and all three timeouts left and chose to go for it. Quarterback Caleb Williams was forced to scramble up the middle and appeared to be stopped just short of the line to gain, but center Brett Nealon provided a push to get Williams the first down yardage, which is now being immortalized as the Nealon nudge. USC would get a 21-yard touchdown pass to Jordan Addison to finish the drive with 1.13 left on the clock. Oregon State quarterback Chance Nolan's fourth interception of the game 
on a pass deflected by Arizona State transfer linebacker Eric Gentry with 35 seconds left, sealed the game for USC. It was a struggle for a lot of people, including the quarterback, Caleb Williams. Just 16-36 on the game for 180 yards and that late touchdown to Addison. Did carry the ball nine times for 27 total yards. Travis Dye, however, his third straight game with 100-plus rush yards, going for 133 on 19 carries and that touchdown. The leading receiver was actually Taj Washington for USC. Six catches for 67 yards as Addison was held to just three receptions for 42 yards. The defense again, though, opportunistic, four interceptions, Gentry, Sierra Wright, Makai Blackman, and the game-sealing one by Max Williams, as Nolan only went 17 of 29 for 167 yards. Oregon State running back Jam Griffin did go for 84 yards on the ground on 12 carries and a touchdown. And both offenses struggled just 357 total yards of offense for USC to 320 for the Beavers. So, Hodrabino, did this game change your opinion of the Trojans for better or for worse? <laughs> well, I think that's a question that people are in LA are asking uh, more over here than uh, Tempe. But it definitely was a reversal of roles, if you will. Uh, you saw a USC defense that maybe showed some chinks in the armor. Here and there, the first three weeks absolutely carried the load for the Trojans in Corvallis. And I don't think Oregon State is a team that the rest of the Pac-12 really should take lightly. It's definitely a team that I think is going to make some noise this season. So the fact that they're able to hold them to 14 points, I think, uh, is no small feat. And on the other hand, obviously, seeing the offense for USC being uh, so, I would say, even borderline anemic. I mean, Caleb Williams... Not only did he only pass for 180 yards, I think he had 10 incompletions in the first half alone, and uh, definitely was not himself, did not look at all like the quarterback we've seen in the first three weeks. So I don't know if really changed my opinion, but maybe more than anything, showing that this USC defense is for real. Uh, I mean, granted, the bar was really low in 2021, but when the defense needs to carry the offense for USC, I think the Oregon State win definitely proved that point of nothing else. Yeah, big game for Alex Grinch, the D coordinator, after, let's be honest, not so great games in the first three weeks of the season for USC on the defensive side, but the offense was just so overwhelming. It was nice to see the Trojans win a game without the offense clicking, but was this an aberration for the offense, or is there a blueprint out there now for other opponents to follow? You know what, Nara, that is probably the million-dollar question that not only ASU is asking, but probably Utah, which I think a game is coming up in a couple of weeks here, and every other team that's on the USC schedule. Did Oregon State really present that blueprint? And I think the beauty of maybe the USC offense is that not only that the defense can carry the team, but the rushing game can definitely do some damage. Uh, I think that's, that's another aspect that was kind of subpar for USC standards in 2021 and the fact that USC was able to rush for 201 yards and I would really put this Oregon State defense in terms of strength probably more in the front seven than actually at secondary that does really say a lot there's no doubt in my mind that the game film from Corvallis is providing a lot of food for thought for the USC offensive staff what not to do against ASU and other teams for that matter but there's no doubt in my mind that uh, ASU as much as they can replicate, they will try and replicate what Oregon State did to USC. But I feel when it's all said and done, 
this uh, game against Oregon State, at least for the USC offense, is really going to prove an operation. And if you're a USC fan, you're probably hoping that it does not prove as an operation for the USC defense on the other hand. The key thing, too, despite the struggles of the offense, is that USC still has not committed a turnover this season, and the defense picked up four more takeaways. Can USC's defense continue to get so many takeaways? That's another uh, really interesting question because uh, it really is uh, like a live by the sword, die by the sword uh, defense, it seems. They also have 14 sacks on the year, which is uh, really an impressive number, especially when you figure that they already played uh, two Pac-12 teams to date. And even a team like Fresno State uh, is a team that uh, took this same Oregon State team really to the wire before the Beavers were able to eke out a win. So I think it really depends on the, on the opponent, ultimately, and against a team like ASU, which is struggling quite a bit on offense. I, I feel that uh, the COC defense can uh, really tally up a significant number of sacks, significant amount of turnovers, whether it's interceptions or, or recovered fumbles. But uh, obviously, when you have uh, tougher uh, teams ahead like Utah on offense, can they really keep that up? That might be a, a different story. But again, not to... Sound repetitive here. The defensive bar for USC was so low in 2021 that this 2022 group really had uh, no other option but to be better. And I really think that uh, so far they they have been playing uh, very, very well. But even when you look at 14 sacks throughout four games, 11 interceptions throughout four games, those are numbers that maybe the most optimistic USC fan probably did not think was possible. And that was with getting no sacks against Chance Nolan on the day against Oregon State. So we will see how USC can continue its success on defense or if it's going to come back down to earth a little bit. This is the Everything USC podcast. I'm Nara Wang, joined today by the publisher of Devil's Digest, the rival's website covering Arizona State Athletics, Hode Rabino. If you enjoy listening to this show, you can Subscribe, download, and rate it wherever you get your favorite podcasts, or go directly to Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media, at Believe Network and at Believe Sports. For me, I am on Twitter at Narawang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Hode, where do the people find you and Devil's Digest? Sure, our website is devilsdigest.com, where the... uh rivals.com affiliate of Arizona State, and on Twitter, at Devil's Digest. Hi, this is Lope Tupu, former All-Pro linebacker with the Seattle Seahawks, two-time national champion with USC, and you're listening to the Everything USC podcast with Nara Wang on the Believe Network. Fight on. Now it's time to look to this Saturday night's matchup against Arizona State for the USC Trojans. It'll be a Pac-12 after dark game, 7.30 p.m. start on the Pacific time zone on ESPN and the Trojans Radio Network flagship station, of course, is KABC 790 AM. Arizona State comes in 1-3, defeating Northern Arizona in its season opener, but then losing the next three games to Oklahoma State, Eastern Michigan, and Utah. And the interim head coach is Sean Aguano, took over after... Herm Edwards was fired after that home loss against Eastern Michigan. He got Clay Helton, essentially, hoed. And so I want you to talk a little bit about how that drama has taken foot in Tempe and how everyone is dealing with the new coach in charge. Well, you know, here's the thing. When you talk about the drama 
concerning Herm Edwards. I know a lot of people are going to point to the uh, summer of 2021, where the news about the incident investigation for alleged recruiting violations committed by the Sun Devils was really the start of the end uh, for Herm Edwards. But if you're really going back to his first two years uh, in Tempe, we won seven games and eight games respectively, it really wasn't anything to be excited about. And the uh, surge that folks uh, thought this program was going to have just because Herm Edwards was on board and brought his NFL experience, had a staff full of former coaches and former players from the NFL would really move the needle uh, for this program. That really never happened. And I think the disappointment was pretty evident. I think just like a lot of other programs uh, in the country, you wonder, okay, if COVID doesn't hit in 2020, how does this program look? Can it really gain any momentum? Can it really take that next step? But really what happened in 2021, when that incident investigation news uh, came out, that definitely affected the program quite a bit. But again, if you want to be honest about it, it's not like Herm Edwards was uh, rattling off 10 or double-digit win seasons. He was not going to any New Year's Day Bowls or anything like that. So I think there were some quote-unquote warning signs in the first few years that Herm Edwards is probably not the man to uh, take this ASU program uh, over the hump, awake the sleeping giant like a lot of people do like to, to say over here. And really, when the incident investigation does come out, and not one but four assistant coaches uh, do have to resign or be fired because of that, that really showed that Herm Edwards did a poor, poor job managing this program. And uh, that loss to Eastern Michigan, it's not only the fact that ASU lost, but uh, being absolutely dominated by a, a Group 5 team dominated so much that Eastern Michigan attempted only two passes in the second half. They didn't even have any passing yards uh, to, to even show for those last two quarters, but absolutely ran roughshod on Arizona State. Their leading uh, running back, Samson Evans, who only had 59 rushing yards the week before, actually rushes forward with 300 yards at Sundell Stadium. Oh, by the way, uh, rushed for a, a measly um, 50-some yards the week after. So it really has been a, been an absolute mess. You know, I guess people may differ on where do you point the finger of what the beginning of the end was for Herm Edwards. But uh, either way you slice it, Herm Edwards uh, did a poor, poor job here in Tempe, and that's why he and the program parted ways. It always seemed like an odd fit to me. Herm Edwards, basically his entire coaching career was spent in the NFL. And of course, it was his former agent, Ray Anderson, the athletic director at Arizona State, who hired his old friend. It didn't work out. And so Arizona State will be looking for a new head coach. And in this series, USC leads it all time, 23 and 13, not including that vacated win in 2005. But last year was a 31-16 loss at ASU where running back Rashad White just ran roughshod over the Trojans, 28 carries, 202 yards, and three touchdowns in that one. But to look at the key guys on offense on this year's Sun Devil squad, you've got a transfer from Florida quarterback, Emery Jones, so far in the season completing 60% of his passes, 818 yards, three touchdowns, and two picks. A grad transfer at running back out of Wyoming, ex Valade. 391 yards on 60 carries and three trips to the end zone. And the redshirt sophomore wide receiver, Elijah Badger, has stepped up this season. 22 catches, 293 yards, and a touchdown. On defense, 
a lot of veterans in that linebacking core that USC fans will have seen before. The middle linebacker, Kyle Soley, team captain, leading the team once again in tackles, 51, and also has two interceptions. And the fifth-year senior strong side linebacker, Merlin Robertson, also a team captain for ASU. Second on the team with 33 tackles, has a sack and a forced fumble as well. An honorable mention, all Pac-12 last season. So tell me, what should USC fans be looking for out of this Arizona State squad? Well, I think when you look on offense, you know, ASU is really going to try to find any vulnerabilities that this USC defense presents. And when you look at the stat sheet, I think it's pretty evident that USC does have some problems stopping the run. And that's one aspect uh, for the Sun Devils that more or less is actually working pretty well for them. I think it's kind of ironic that USC only gave up 160 uh, rushing yards to Oregon State in, in a close win. So maybe somewhat stopping the bleeding um, in that area. But I think anybody that follows USC knows uh, that their run defense definitely leaves a lot to be desired. So I would uh, really look for the ASU offense uh, to run early and, and run often. And they believe that after facing a monster front seven in Utah just last Saturday, that uh, it could be a whole different story in a positive way for them to find some traction in the rushing game. Uh, Emory Jones, obviously, is, is a classic dual threat quarterback. So I can see him also uh, doing better on the ground than he did in recent weeks. I also feel that it really behooves the ASU offense to uh, play the slow ball control game, really just uh, try to grind out as much clock as possible, keep that explosive USC offense off the field. Again, even though that offense only scored 17 points in Corvallis last week, I absolutely have no illusions in my mind that uh, they're going to really uh, at least double that point output against ASU on Saturday. So that's why really I would expect an offense. It's a very uh, controlled, maybe take the air out of the ball to, to borrow a basketball term on offense. On defense, uh, it really almost, uh, you know, pick your poison with this USC offense because I think both their passing game and their ground game is uh, definitely, definitely stout. Again, it's, it's a matter of, okay, do you really think the Oregon State offensive output or lack thereof was an anomaly? Or is it something that, you know, maybe a foundation that's, that's showing some massive cracks? I mean, we'll see on Saturday. But uh, I know that ASU's defense has had a hard time generating pressure, uh, blitzes, pass rush from their front four and really from their front seven uh, from that matter. I don't know how much uh, time Oregon State did or did not give Caleb Williams uh, time to throw, but uh, I know that if ASU is going to try to employ, you know, an approach where um, they're still struggling, uh, pass rushing and disrupting Caleb Williams, it really can be a long, long night in the office. So I don't know really, you know, what the defense can do better, what what their approach is going to be. Are they really trying to stop the rushing game and Caleb Williams trying to contain him in the pocket and maybe taking their chances? with the aerial attack, or maybe are they uh, more apt and more um, content to really drop into the zone, maybe take their chances somewhat uh, with the ground attack for USC just to make sure that Caleb Williams doesn't punish you with his arm, especially when you have such a talented wide receiver like Jordan Addison. So defensive-wide, I'm really curious to see what kind of approach they're going to take because I really think they're going to have their hands full. And again, at least in my opinion, and I don't think it's really – being an outlandish opinion, this USC offense uh, this Saturday is going to look a whole lot different than it did last week in Corvallis. 
Yeah, for USC to continue its unbeaten ways, keep up that number six ranking in the polls, I think a big thing is that they can't get overconfident. Everyone knows the struggles that Arizona State is going through, but coming off of a tough game, I would hope that just because you got through it barely after struggling throughout the game, that you're not going to come into this one and feel like you're just going to roll over the Sun Devils. And they got to keep winning the takeaway battle. That's been working great so far this season. So don't commit turnovers and get your own. And USC, in theory, should have a much better game this weekend against Arizona State. So now it's time for us to try and predict what we're going to see on Saturday night in the Coliseum. So far, to recap how I'm doing against my guests in the predictions game, I am 5-2-3 overall after another split week last week with Fresno State radio voice Paul Leffler. In the players that we believed in, we both went defense for USC. I said Kalen Bullock, and he went with the D-lineman Tuli Tui Pelotu. I'm calling that a tie because neither guy really had much of an impact. Kalen Bullock with four tackles. Tui Pelotu had two tackles, one for a loss, and a pass breakup. But really not the stars of that defensive showing by the Trojans last week. So I'm calling that one a tie. In the game score, I had 31-23 USC, Paul went 35-31, and so we both were a bit off on the total points, but he did have USC not covering the 6.5 point spread. I did, and so I will get that one wrong, and Paul wins that one. And in the prop bet portion of the picks, Nara's no doubter was that USC would have fewer than 500 yards of total offense for the first time this season. I was correct with their 357 total. And Paul's promise was that Jack Coletto would make a big play in short yardage and or at the goal line. Kind of a vague pick. I let him have it. And the actual best play that Coletto had was a 30-yard reception in the first quarter. So he didn't really get his Paul's promise correct. So I took that one. So a 1-1-1 week. And now it's time for Hode Rubino and I to make our predictions and beginning with the players that we believe in for this week. I haven't picked him yet this season. And I think after his struggles last week, he's going to be motivated. And I'm going with the wide receiver, the transfer from Pittsburgh, the reigning Bolitnikoff award winner, Jordan Addison, as my player that I believe in. Now, Hode, I know you cover ASU. Are you allowed to pick a USC guy who you think is going to be the best USC player of the game, or are you going to throw a change up at me and go with an ASU guy? I'm not sure why not. I'll, I will pick a USC player just because I don't think there's a realistic chance that ASU comes back from the Coliseum with a victory. I'm actually going to pick uh, Travis Dye because I know that I have been kind of deliberating out loud whether the ASU defense is really going to try to stack the box or really be very aware of the passing game for USC and, and maybe drop in coverage more. And I think it just might be the latter. They really don't want Caleb Williams with his arm to beat that secondary. And I think Jordan Addison is uh, definitely the type of wide receiver that's keeping the defensive staff at ASU up late at night. So I feel that the ASU defense by and large is going to present kind of a loose front, if you will. In other words, not really committing too many people to the box. And uh, that should allow the ground attack or USC, Travis Dye leading the way to have a big game for the Trojans. So that is my prediction in terms of the MVP. All right. So players we believe in both on offense, Jordan Addison for me, 
Travis Die for Hode. And just so you know, Hode, Travis Die, you're now the third person that has picked Travis Die this season. <laughs> and it's been split. Week one, he didn't get the win. Matt Zemek, editor of Trojans Wire. And then week three, Scott Bemis, Fresno sports anchor and reporter, did win it on that one. So we'll see how you change the balance of that Travis Die pick for all my guests so far. And I'll let you go first on the winner and game score. What do you see happening this Saturday? Well, I know that USC is over a three-touchdown favorite against ASU. I don't have a problem with with that line. The Sun Devils really have to prove that they can play much closer uh, with with the Pac-12 teams, especially the better teams in the conference. And on the other hand, I, I feel that it's probably not too far-fetched to see USC not only really uh, getting up to a sizable lead, maybe sometime at halftime or, or maybe sometime in the, in the middle of third quarter, and then really letting the foot off the gas pedal, maybe kind of the game that they had against uh, Stanford a couple weeks back. So uh, I'm predicting a USC win 41-25. to 25. Again, I know it may lend itself a little closer, especially when you talk about ASU being a three-touchdown underdog. But like I said, I, I can see... USC jumping to such a sizable lead and then uh, just really letting their guard down, if you will, and ASU making it, I guess, somewhat respectable. But uh, 41-25 is the score I'm going with. And I will mention that our sponsor, Bet Online, as we record this show on a Wednesday night, currently has USC as a 25-point favorite. So you've got USC winning, but not covering that spread. And... My pick is very close to yours. I have it 41-17 USC. So just under the spread of 25 points that's set on Bet Online currently, and just under the total of 60 and a half points that they've got for the game as well. So I see it kind of similar. I do think USC jumps out to a lead and kind of coasts in a little bit like they did in the first few weeks of the season. So I've got 41-17, Hode going 41-25. And finally, the always entertaining prop bet portion of the predictions. I will begin with Nara's no-doubter for this week, which is that USC, after having no sacks against Oregon State last week, will bounce back and have at least three sacks on this game against the Sun Devils. That is Nara's no-doubter. Hode, let's hear the fun name you came up with for your pick, and what is it? I mean, I'm not not feeling too creative right now, but maybe I'll go with Hode Hedges for my fun name for my prediction. My prediction, uh, I need to do something on ASU's side, right? So I'm going to pick um, Xavier Valade eclipsing the 100-yard mark. Maybe not too outlandish of a prediction uh, just because uh, he's averaging over 97 yards a game, averaging 6.5 yards a carry. And again, going back to my earlier point, I feel that there is any chink in the armor for USC on either side of the ball. It really is their run defense. And I don't think it's really going to matter in the grand scheme of things when it comes to the scoreboard. But I feel that ASU is going to find some success on the ground. And I think going back to my earlier point, that really is going to be their game plan uh, to, to control the clock as much as possible, keep that USC offense off the field for long stretches of time. So that means going to the ground uh, early and often. And that uh, should mean a pretty good uh, day for Xavier Valde going over 100 yards in this game on Saturday night. All right. So Hode Hedges is going with 
X Valaday going for 100 plus rush yards against the Trojans. So to recap our predictions for this week, players we believe in, I'm going with the wide receiver Jordan Addison, Hode Rubino taking the running back Travis Dye. On the game score, I have it 41-17 Trojans, Hode a little bit closer, 41-25 for USC. Nara's no doubter. USC will have at least three sacks in this game, while Hode hedges with Valaday going for 100-plus yards for ASU on the ground. So we'll see how those predictions turn out, and we'll tally them up next week and see how I'm doing against my guests throughout this season. This is the Everything USC podcast on Believe. I'm Nara Wang, joined by Hode Rubino, publisher of the Devil's Digest website covering ASU Athletics. And if you want to find the show, you can go to any of your favorite podcast directories to subscribe, download, and rate it. Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, TuneIn, and more. Or go to the website, Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com. Find us on social media at Believe Network and at Believe Sports. For me, I can be found on Twitter at Narawang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Hode, where can everyone find you and Devil's Digest? The website is uh, devilsdigest.com. We're the Rivals affiliate for Arizona State. And on Twitter, it's at Devil's Digest. Hey, everybody. Marcus Grant here from the NFL Network. Hope you're enjoying the Everything USC podcast with my longtime friend Nara Wang on the Believe Network. Believe in Trojan sports and fight on. And finally, as I've been finishing up all of my shows this season with new guests. We're going to talk about the USC and UCLA move to the Big Ten that will begin in 2024. That was announced on June 30th this summer. Hode, from your ASU perspective, how surprising was the news to you and what do you think it's going to do to the Pac-12 and its remaining teams? Yeah, I think it was surprising really for everybody, including the Pac-12 commissioner for that matter. It's really impressive. I don't know if that's the right word to use, that in this day and age, uh, USC and UCLA were able to keep those negotiations with the Big Ten, which I guess lasted maybe not a full 12 months, but pretty close to it under wraps. I think it was surprising for everybody. And look, I mean, I'm sure I know that ASU fans are are not pleased with that move because they feel that losing both LA teams uh, does make the Pac-12 pretty irrelevant. Obviously, uh, taking a hit in the uh, media rights uh, revenue uh, is not something that's appealing to anybody, especially a school like ASU, uh, which does seem more oftentimes than not really in, in a budget crunch. So not to have a lucrative media rights deal that can really help their coffers is definitely not going to be a reason for celebration uh, by any means. I just feel that maybe if there is kind of any silver lining, uh, not only for ASU, but really for the rest of the Pac-12, is uh, not contending with the L.A. schools year in and year out, whether it's recruiting or whether it's just head-to-head meetings on the field, can really just open uh, opportunities for other teams uh, in the Pac-12 to uh, be more of that consistent winner. And look, and I know that both L.A. schools just in the last few years, I've really really been a roller coaster. I mean, especially the UCLA, up until last season, I I don't think they uh, really even broke 500 uh, under Chip Kelly and even the years before that, really were not anything impressive at all. And with USC, I mean, maybe more of a roller coaster, but you feel that once that program does stabilize, then uh, that could be the program that everybody else in the Pac-12 will be looking up to for years and years to come. So I think there are some positives uh, with LA schools, maybe more USC than UCLA associated with their move that can benefit 
ASU in, in some regard. But some would say, and I can't really argue a whole lot, that the move of both L.A. schools does deem the Pac-12 irrelevant, uh, whether they stay put with 10 teams or try to add an SMU, SDSU, Boise State. I mean, all the names that are thrown out there, that's uh, obviously not even close to being a uh, suitable replacement for the L.A. schools. So there could be more negatives uh, than positives associated with this, but I still think that maybe there is some kind of silver lining that can help a school like ASU that now that they don't have to contend with the L.A. schools starting in 2024, maybe that can be some kind of opportunity for growth. Finally, really quickly, when this happens in a couple of years, do you think the Pac-12 will be a Pac-10 or are they going to add two teams? It's really hard for me to see them not adding two teams. Pac-12, again, is just really trying to be as, as relevant as possible. They're trying to secure a media rights deal that is obviously never going to replace what it could have been with the LA schools in the fold, but at least have a chance to have somewhat of a respectable media rights deal. And that's why those two teams I mentioned earlier, SMU capturing the Dallas TV market, SDSU capturing the San Diego TV market, and obviously just having a presence in Southern California, period, which it's kind of hard to imagine the Pac-12 not having that presence at all with uh, a state uh, such as Vestas, California, and especially with a very, very fertile recruiting ground that, that comes with it. So I think that if SMU and SDSU were the two teams that were added to the conference, I, I don't think anybody would uh, fall out, out of their chair due to shock. But uh, honestly, I just feel the conference realignment has been just an absolute circus. Everything is on the table. I could see ASU, Arizona, Colorado, and Utah bolting to the Big 12, even though that is something that's been talked a lot about. Then you just heard that unity message from the Pac-12, but I could see some ANSI presidents and athletic directors for some schools in the conference feeling that if keeping this conference alive is not really going in a direction that's pleasing to them, that they're going to be proactive and aggressive in a move to move away from the conference. So, I mean, to answer your question, I think it's really anybody's guess uh, what's going to happen. But if there were two teams to be added, I think SMU and SDSU are fairly safe bets to make, if you will. And I agree because all of this moving around and moving parts in college football, it's all about money and TV markets. And if you need to keep SoCal, San Diego State's the one for you, and you can jump into the Dallas market with SMU. Hode Rubino, thank you so much for joining me for this week's Everything USC podcast. Thanks for having me, Nara. For my guest, Devil's Digest website publisher, Hode Rubino. I'm Nara Wang. Thanks for joining us for episode 64 of the Everything USC podcast, presented by Bet Online on Believe, the number one content network for professionals, the place to find a sports or pop culture show for passionate fan bases across multiple platforms. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? And as always, I will end every show with a fight on. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.